Well, good morning, Southwind. So good to see you today. Uh, so glad that you are here. And we are uh, continuing in our, our season of pre- uh, preparing to celebrate the birth of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to start a brand new series of messages today called Joy to Your World. We're going to be exploring Luke's account of the first Christmas. And if you read it, you will quickly see it is just filled with joy. And we're going to be learning as we look at these uh, familiar stories how we can experience joy in our worlds as well. Now, before I, I get into our study of God's Word with you today, I want to mention just a couple of things for emphasis. As, as always at, at Christmas, as, as Chris said a few moments ago, we, we offer a number of ways for us to give. But I want to especially uh, mention to you and highlight our, our, our main Christmas offering uh, the goal this year is $25,000, and we use the gifts that you give every year uh, primarily to help families in our uh, church community and in our broader community who are in need. Uh, we'll also be using a portion of the, the offering that comes in to support uh, international missionaries through our, 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 our denomination's Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So just encourage you as the Lord uh, uh, leads you to, to give to that. You can access that on the app or with the envelopes. And I also want to mention uh, what I uh, talked about just two weeks ago, our, our 75 trees offering. Um, we'll be talking more about that when we get into the new year, but almost $5,000 has come in already. So I want to say thank you to those of you who have given. We're well on our way with that. And uh, as I mentioned uh, two weeks ago, each tree uh, is going to cost around $200. There's going to be a few trees that are going to be really large. They're going to cost around $1,500. Uh, and so if you want to contribute to that, you can give any amount uh, that you would like. It'll all be uh, helpful and, and useful. Uh, there is on our app a place that says trees, and you just designate it that way. And uh, we're going to have some fun, I, I think, with that uh, this next uh, season. Well, today, we're going to be talking, as we look in the Gospel of Luke, about joy when I feel forgotten. We're going to study Luke chapter 1, verses 5 uh, through 25, and this is a a little bit less familiar part of the Christmas story, and I want to begin just by reading it for you so we have it in our hearts and our minds as we work through it. This is what Luke writes, beginning in verse 1, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. 
Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this thing for me, she said. In this, these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And this is the word of the Lord and all God's people say. Amen. You know, there is so much power in, in this story, so so much truth that just speaks to our lives. And we meet these two people, Zachariah and Elizabeth, two people who feel forgotten. They are praying and they've been praying. They have been asking God, Lord, would you give us a child? And that prayer has not been answered. And they're old now. So that means they've been praying this prayer for years. That means they have been waiting for a long time. They feel forgotten. And I don't know, but maybe you feel forgotten today. Maybe that sense of feeling forgotten just grows stronger during the holiday season for you. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can feel forgotten. Um, Sometimes it's really not that big a deal. We kind of get over it. You know, someone forgets to say thank you for something nice that we did for them. Or someone buys us the wrong Christmas gift. I'm talking to you husbands right now. Um, Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe you feel forgotten by your parents. Maybe you feel forgotten by your spouse. Or maybe, maybe it seems like God has forgotten you. As we walk through this story, I wanna show you three choices that we we can make whenever we feel forgotten. And and I think you're gonna see whatever we choose, that that determines whether or not we're gonna be able to live in joy. So here's the first one, and this is not really where we wanna stay, but it's where we need to start this morning. When I feel forgotten, I can live in disappointment. I can live in disappointment. Now, this story is ultimately about joy, but it begins in disappointment. And this is how most people respond to feeling forgotten. Luke sets the scene for us in verses five through seven. We we meet Zachariah, this priest. We meet Elizabeth, his wife. And he tells us they're godly people. He says they, they obey God. He uses this word blamelessly. And then in verse seven, he says, but but they, they don't have any children. They, they feel forgotten, they're, they're waiting. And, and it's kind of interesting when you look at 
the setting in which they live, they actually live in a time of feeling forgotten. For their nation, for God's people, Israel, it was this time of waiting. And if you know the history surrounding this, this uh, time in, in history, uh, this is a season in which God has been silent for 400 years. Since the, the prophet Malachi had written that final book of the Old Testament, there no, no prophet in Israel had received a word from God. Now maybe you notice that Malachi's prophecy is a key part of this story. We'll get to that in a little while because he prophesied about the forerunner to Messiah who is about to show up, this baby of, uh, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But, but this was a time, it was a season that the whole nation was experiencing spiritual disappointment. God had not spoken for a long time. God, he seemed distant and he seemed remote. They were also living in a time of oppression. We see this in Luke's very first words, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now Herod was a king who was a, a brutal despot of, of epic proportion. He had been appointed to his post by Rome. He reigned from 37 to 4 BC. In fact, it, right here, he's coming very close to the end of his life and his reign. And there's a few things we, we know about Herod. First of all, he was brilliant and evil. And that, of course, is like the worst kind of evil. He was a legendary builder. He loved projects. He built palaces. He built uh, the port at the great city of Caesarea. He had built the temple in Jerusalem. And then he was also a very violent man. At one time when he was running short of cash in the royal treasury, he, he brought 45 of the nation's wealthiest citizens in and he killed them and he just took their money. Uh, I guess you could say he solved his debt crisis by like sticking it to the top 1% or something like that. And he was this paranoid guy. He, he was always paranoid that someone was gonna usurp his throne. And so across his reign at different times, he had murdered, uh, he had murdered his mother-in-law. And some of you say, I don't understand that. Um, but he'd also murdered one of his wives. He also murdered three of his sons. Herod was a bad guy. In fact, he was so unpopular, before he died, he put an order in place that when he died, 70 of the leading citizens should be executed immediately so that after uh, his death, there would actually be mourning in the land at his funeral because <laughs> he knew no one would grieve for him. And so we can see when we look at this, this was also not just a time of spiritual disappointment. It was a, it was a time of cultural disappointment. And, and this was Zachariah and Elizabeth's world. It's also their personal world. Now, Zachariah, as you heard, is a priest. Elizabeth is a priest's daughter. So they're kind of elite, uh, special people in the culture of the day. And verse six talks about their character. Uh, Luke says they were both upright. They were people who observed all the Lord's commandments. He says blamelessly, and just kind of let that sink in. This was a couple that, that stood out for their faithfulness to God. Now Luke is not saying that they were sinless. They were real people, real people sin, right? We know that. But what he is saying here is they were people who were seriously and faithfully seeking to follow God. But it was like God had noticed. It was like God had forgotten them. 
Verse seven tells us God did not bless them with children. And some of you understand this at a deeply personal level. You can imagine how hard it was for them. You know the disappointment of infertility. And they had been seeking God's favor, seeking God's favor, but it doesn't feel like they have it because God has not answered their deepest prayer. They feel forgotten. And they have felt like this for a very long time, for years. Luke says they're old, and we don't know how old they they were, but it's likely, given the way this is written, that they they have watched their friends have children, and then they have watched their friends' children have children, watching them growing up. They have listened through these years to who knows how many people give them advice, you know, about how they could get pregnant, you know, tell them what essential oils would help them get pregnant, and I hear you laughing because you know how some of you people are. Um, they have felt the pain. They have felt the pain of people in their community who were wondering out loud, you know, maybe you don't have kids because you have some sin in your life. Maybe you've heard this discussed before, but back in that day, everyone assumed that God always would bless righteous people with children, and that would mean if you didn't have any, well, you must have done something, and so they would feel the judgment of their community, that they felt the shame. In fact, this word Elizabeth was used in verse 25 at the end of this passage. Did you notice it? Disgrace. They feel disgraced. And yet, all this time, year after year, decade after decade, Luke is telling us they were both upright in God's sight. They were observing all his commandments and regulations blamelessly. And there's a great, great irony in the background here. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. Elizabeth's name means God my promise. Together, their their names as a couple kind of like mean God keeps his promises. But it seems like he hadn't. Seems like he hadn't kept his promises for them. So this is the life that Elizabeth and Zechariah are living, holy, blameless, upright, yet no children. They could choose to feel disappointment, maybe like some of us, There's a second choice that we can make when we feel forgotten. When we feel forgotten, we we can keep on serving God. I can keep serving God. I can can remain faithful. One day, Zachariah is packing his stuff. He's he's taking off for a week, and and we know from the Gospels that most of the year, uh, he, he probably works a small farm somewhere in the hill country of Judea, but he's part of this priestly division of Abijah, and twice a year is part of this uh, uh, responsibility and calling. Every six months, he travels to Jerusalem, to the temple to serve, and the historian Josephus tells us there were like 18,000 priests then, and each Division had around 700 priests, and the story kind of picks up with Zechariah's group headed to Jerusalem to serve one of their weeks. Verse 8 through 10, it says, Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to, to burn incense. That's very important. He's chosen to burn incense. And when the time For the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. 
I want to give you kind of a bigger picture, a crash course in the temple of Jerusalem, first part of the first century. Today, if you're in Israel and you're there, you would be looking outside of Jerusalem on a hill called the the Mount of Olives. You would look across the valley and you would see this scene. You would see this golden dome of this place that is called the Dome of the Rock. It is an Islamic shrine today, but in that first century, if you had stood on that same hill and looked across that same valley, you would have seen the temple compound. And it was called Herod's Temple because King Herod had poured in a ton of money and decades of work, and he had built these massive colonnaded courtyards for the temple. In this next image, the, the temple proper is circled to allow you to focus in on it. And, and you wouldn't have been allowed in there as a, just a normal person. This is where the priests served. The, the people had to stay outside. And the priests, well, they would go into the temple. And then they would go into an inner room that was called the holy place. This is a cutaway Gives you an idea of what it looked like. The holy place had a table for offering bread. They had candlesticks that were lit and burned perpetually. And there was the altar of incense. And, and then there was this curtain. And on uh, the other side of the curtain was that innermost room. It was called the Holy of Holies. And in that room, there was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the word Ark just means box. And covenant means a set of of promises. And so this is the box containing the promises. And the Ten Commandments had been in that box. This box represents that they were God's people and God was their God. It was so different from pagan temples because in pagan temples you would walk into the sacred areas and you would see the statues of the gods like Zeus or Poseidon or Athena. But there is no statue of a God here, you walk in here and all you see are promises. It's kind of like a marriage. I will be your husband. Will you be my wife? I will be your God, God is saying. Will you be my people? See, the Ark of the Covenant represented that God had chosen them. But here's the thing. When this story takes place in Zachariah and Elizabeth's time, it didn't much feel like they had been chosen. In Jesus' day, maybe you've read the history, you know there there were two capitals in Israel. Uh, Jerusalem was the capital for God's people. But 50 miles to the north, there's another city, Caesarea, Caesar's city, and it was the Roman capital, and, and that was where the power was. Rome ruled Israel. And Zachariah and Elizabeth's people, everyone had, had to pay these crippling Roman taxes that, that made it difficult to live, difficult to feed your kids. Caesarea held the power. And maybe you could look at this and think, well, at least when you're in Jerusalem, the Romans are, are far away, but that wasn't exactly true. Look at this next picture, this picture of the Temple Mount. Do you see that circle in, in the upper corner? That's a Roman fort. It was named after Mark Antony. You probably heard of him. It's called Fortress Antonia. And what that meant was you would be down in the courtyard below participating in the worship of your God, and there would be up above you Roman soldiers on the wall, all around you, watching you, watching you, watching you. So understand, 
what you would experience as a Jewish person who was worshiping in Jesus' day. On the one side, you, you would know in that temple there is this Ark of the Covenant which represents the promises of God that you are the, the chosen people. But just on the other side, a few feet away, Roman soldiers reminding you that you are dominated by the military might of the Roman Empire. The reason actually that they, the Romans had put the fort there was just to be able to quickly squash any uprising in the temple area. They would have the soldiers right there. If something started, they could get there quickly. And so you had this experience all the time as God's people. On the one side, you're the chosen people, but on the other side, no, no, you're a third-rate country under the dominance of a superpower. On one side, Ark of the Covenant, I will never leave you. But a few feet away, there is this Roman fort that keeps saying, we have been forgotten, very, very forgotten. On one side, it's like God has a plan for us. God is with us. God loves us. He's chosen us. But on the other side, it's this Roman fort. And it was kind of like, how could God possibly be with us when every day we keep getting the life crushed out of us? So imagine this space, Ark of the Covenant, one side, Fortress Antonia, other side. You're you're just living in this place between hope and despair. And if we go back to verses eight through 10, I I wanted to ask, do any of you know this place? You know, on one side, you're a Christ follower and you have the promises of God. You know the Bible says God will always be near, that he will be good to you, that he has a plan for your life. But all you have to do is turn around and look at your life circumstances and it sure looks to you like you've been forgotten. What do you do when you're living in this space? between I'm a chosen and loved child of God and God, I'm just dying over here. What do you do? Maybe this space for you is infertility, like for Zachariah and Elizabeth. Maybe it's something else. I mean, how many people connected to Southwinds, maybe even in the last year, have experienced, gone through the pain of divorce, the shattering of a lifelong dream of a loving family? How many have had to go through the loss of a loved one? I've done more funerals this year than any other year that I've been your pastor, and the year's not over. How many in our community face cancer and they don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow? How many have experienced, I don't know, like a life-altering accident, or maybe it's how many of you have, have not been able to find work, and it's like, if I can't work, how am I gonna feed my, my family? Some of us, some of us are attempting, as we live through our 20s, move into our 30s, even into middle age, we are attempting to outrun the lingering emotions and pain from a damaging childhood. And you just live in this space between hope and despair. God has a plan for my life. God loves me. God sent Jesus for me. I believe that, but, but life, but life is so difficult, so disappointing right now. Can I keep following him? Can I keep serving him 
Well, I live in this space. And by the way, before we move on to the next set of verses, I wanna just highlight, this is a very dangerous place for your soul. People lose their faith here all the time. And they believe God loves them, that he sent Jesus for them, that Jesus died for their sins, that he's got a plan for their lives, and that in the end, somehow they will see God's goodness unfold in like a hundred unexpected ways, but there's so much disappointment. There's so much heartache and, and pain and sorrow, and if you live there, it can be a dangerous space for your heart. It's a space where belief battles unbelief where you'll find yourself asking and, and wondering, is God real? Does God really love me? Will I, will I really, really see actually truly in his goodness in this life? Or is this all just a, a fantasy, a pipe dream? People lose their faith here. And I pray, I hope it isn't you. I hope the disappointment that you experience, all of us experience, will push you to the Father and not drive you away I I hope that you experience his goodness even in the middle of your pain. And I hope that for you, love and hope and faith will prevail. Go back to this story of Zechariah. The the lot is cast. We don't know exactly how this happens, but he's selected to light incense in the holy place. And this was a high, high honor. Scholars uh, say that you can only do this one time in your life. Many, many priests never got a chance to do it. It was very rare. And that means that (laughs) this is going to be one of the most important days in Zachariah's life. Now today, when we think of incense, you probably think of like something on a stick or maybe an incense on a cone. But, but in Zachariah's time, it was different. They, he, you would bring in coals and, and then you would take powdered incense and you would dump that incense onto the coals and this cloud of smoke would ascend. Verse 10 says all the assembled worshipers were praying outside and the idea would be the priest goes in and he lights the incense and the smoke goes up and it's this picture of your prayers rising up to God's beautiful imagery. I think a a lot of people outside when he does this who can see Fortress Antonia and and the Roman soldiers, I, I think a lot of them are praying even as he does it that God would one day deliver the people and they still have hope. They are still waiting, praying for their deliverer to come. Something interesting happens this day though. Zachariah goes in and he's probably thinking, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to tell Elizabeth. She's never gonna believe that I was chosen to light the incense. And then in verse 11, everything changes. And it's here that we see our third choice. When I feel forgotten, I can keep trusting God. Now I'm gonna walk us through the rest of this story and and then I wanna show you several ways that we can choose to keep trusting God and choose to keep experiencing joy. In verses 11 to the first part of 13, it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. And I want to stop right here and ask you, you ever notice that pretty much always the first things that angels say to people when they appear is, do not be afraid? See, angels have to say, do not be afraid a lot. And maybe you say, why? Well, the answer is they're scary, Like, 
when you go to the gift shop and you know their little precious moment figurines, next time you see one of those, just look at it and say, do not be afraid and see how that goes together, right? But that's not angels. Angels in reality are terrifying, awesome, beautiful, supernatural, spiritual beings. They are powerful creatures who serve an awesome God. And if one of them showed up today, we would all fall on our faces in fear. Back to the story, it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Story continues in verse 15 through 17. The angel talks about this baby to be born, how he's gonna bring many people back to God, how he is the one who's coming to prepare the way for God's Messiah. And if you like, could fast forward the tape for 30 years, right before Jesus shows up and begins to teach and preach and heal, there is this man named John who appears on the banks of the Jordan River. It's this kid. John begins to preach, and he's kind of a wild man. He's wearing camel skin. He's eating bugs. He's living this ascetic lifestyle, and he thunders out calls for people to repent. Change your mind. Change your ways. The kingdom of God is about to come. Get your hearts ready. And we read this is in Luke 3. You can check it out. Many people respond. They repent publicly. They, they go down into the water in the Jordan River and they're baptized, representing God's forgiveness and cleansing of their sins. And because John was the one calling people to this and he did this, he, 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 he became known as John the Baptist. You see, Zachariah and Elizabeth, this holy, this infertile couple, they're gonna be the parents of John the Baptist. They're gonna be the parents of the one who will prepare the hearts of the nation for the one. See, Zechariah is being told in this moment that they're gonna have a child with cosmic significance, a child who will prepare the way for the coming Messiah. But it's kind of an interesting thing. Remember, Zechariah is blameless. We see right here that doesn't mean perfect because he's, he's actually not in a space to trust yet. Verse 18, it says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? And you kind of need to know the tone. I, I suspect it sounded sort of like, how can I be sure of this? You know, hands on hips or arms folded, something like that. He doesn't believe it. He says, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And husbands, this is kind of instructive for us. If you're gonna say you're old, find a different thing to say about your wife, okay? Like along in years, that's that's kind of gentler and I don't know if he'd learned some things along the way but he's really saying to the angel like are you kidding me I mean look at Elizabeth how can I know for sure and the angel answered now you also have to pay attention to the tone of the angel because Zachariah is clearly in trouble and the angel I think spoke sternly he says I am Gabriel there's only two angels with a name in the Bible. There's Gabriel and Michael, and this is one of them. Um, and he's nothing, he's nothing at all, if you're thinking like this, like Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life. 
That's not what Zachariah's seen. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And he says, you don't believe me. He, he goes on to say, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at the proper time. You want a sign, Zechariah? I'll give you a sign. You're not gonna be able to talk until this baby's born. Now again, remember where this conversation's taking place. They're inside the holy place. They're by the incense altar. People are outside praying beginning to wonder what's going on and Zechariah finally emerges. Look at verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And so he finishes out his week of service. He travels back home with the priest from his area And then we see the final verses in verse 23 to 25. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Why? Why in seclusion for the first five months of pregnancy? For just a moment, it's like Luke's camera turns and focuses on Elizabeth, not Zachariah. It's like what she's thinking, what what she's doing. And, And what she does is she closes the door to her home, she gets very quiet, very worshipful. She's just filled with awe. Verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And by taking away, she means he's taken away the shame the shame I have felt for decades, the the shame that people have put on me believing that we had somehow sinned, that our hearts were not devoted to God. God is showing his favor to me. He is taking away my disgrace. I wonder if that wasn't like a five-month-long prayer. In these days, God, you are giving us your favor. In these days, God, you are showing us your goodness. He has done this for me. He has taken away my disgrace. So I wanna ask, how do I grow in my trust? How how do I grow in my faith in God when I feel forgotten? And I want you to keep in mind as I give you some practical things to do and we wrap this up, I want you to keep in mind that feeling forgotten almost always involves waiting, it almost always involves when you're, when you're not receiving something that you long for, that you think you should have. How, how do I trust God in that place? And several things. Here's the first thing. I need to remember that God works while we wait. Again, I've talked, to this, uh, talked about this with you before. Uh, during these 400 years of silence, this place, this space where Zachariah and Elizabeth lived, God was working in the silence. And they didn't know that then. We do know that now as we look at history. We, we know from history that during this silent period, God was 
organizing the world to get the world ready for the coming of his son, Messiah. He, he raised up world leaders like Alexander the Great who, who conquered the known world and who made, made the, the, the known world speak one language, Koine Greek, so that the gospel could be more rapidly disseminated. It's the language the New Testament was originally written in. And we know that God used the Roman Empire to establish peace. It was called the Pax Romana across the known world. And out of that time of peace, they, the Romans built this amazing road system that made travel far, far easier, thus also enabling the gospel's spread. In other words, God is always working and God can always use anyone and everyone to accomplish his will. So, while we were wondering what's going on and where is God and how come you're not listening, God, and is God even real, God was working in the waiting. And what he did in Zachariah and Elizabeth's life, he does in your life as well. Have you experienced that? I love this text from Isaiah 64, it's verse four verses. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. And look at this, do not miss it. Grab this with everything you have. A God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. See, while I wait, God works. And this is not just a nice little slogan that you can put on a coffee cup or on a little plaque or a magnet you stick on your fridge. This is truth, people. It is truth. It is anchored in the unerring, eternal word of God. It's true. He promises us, if you wait on me, I will work for you. If you wait on me, if you're patient, if you don't give up, if you keep serving, if you keep following, you keep trusting, I, I promise you, you may not see what I'm doing. You may even be tempted to think I'm not doing anything at all, but all the while I am working my purposes and I'm doing it for my glory and I am doing it for your good. While we wait, God works. Some of you love that song, Waymaker. We actually sang it just two weeks ago and I love the words we sing, even when I don't see it. You're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. God never stops working. We need to hold this truth. And it, it doesn't mean your circumstances are gonna change overnight. It doesn't mean you're gonna wake up tomorrow and everything's gonna be rainbows and unicorns. It just means that while you wait, while you go home for Christmas, maybe once again this year, and you only have one seat in your reservation, or, or, or maybe while you wait one more year, and it's still just you and your spouse, and you thought this year would be the year that the baby would come into the story. It means while you wait, God is working. And I'm not 
minimizing anyone's waiting, but I am telling you, I am reminding you, I am declaring to you people, please listen, we have a promise-keeping God. And he's faithful. And he's good. While we wait, heaven works. And we may ask why, we may understand, but God loves us. He is working. Lamentations 3.25 says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. May I remind you, don't ever forget our God is infinite, that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's what Isaiah 55.8 says. And that means when you can't hear his voice speaking, it means you can trust that his hands are working. So we wait. He works. Second, who we become while we wait is as important as what we're waiting for. I, I love this. I mean, you just put everything together from Luke 1. We, we read, remember, we read about Zachariah and Elizabeth, that they were righteous in the sight of God. They were observing all the Lord's commands. They were, they were, they were doing this blamelessly. And I want you to, again, put that in the context of their, their age. They were old. They were advanced in years. So that means when John the Baptist comes, and he's gonna come, you keep reading in the Gospel of Luke, he's gonna come. That means that when they were praying, it was part of the 400 years of silence. That's where they had been living for decades. And that means that during all that silence, during all that waiting, they were becoming something. God was transforming them. They were becoming more righteous in the sight of God as they observed all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Even when it made no sense for them to stick with God, they waited and they, they trusted and they obeyed. Do you understand you can become something while you wait? God wants to do something in your waiting. You know, they were living in a time of silence. I wonder if you've ever noticed that when we're waiting, it can feel like we're almost in this big zone or maybe cone of silence. There's this, this emptiness that we can feel. It's like we're all alone. And, and we need to be aware that the silence often becomes a playground for the enemy. It, it's where the enemy can convince you of things that are not true. It's where the enemy can leverage your doubts and your insecurities. It's where he plays on your fears. He begins to sabotage you in the emptiness of the silence. And so while we wait and where we feel empty, he's speaking to us, whispering to us. You know, that's even how sin entered the world. That's what happened back in Genesis 3. The temptation from the enemy was, did God really say, let's just fill this silence. Let's just fill it with temptation try to get you to doubt and that's what he does to us see our job in response listen is to fill the silence with things that reinforce our trust in God things that remind us of the goodness of God that's what we do in the silence you say how do I do that well let me tell you real quickly a couple practical things that we can do Whenever, you know, we, we believe God's working in the waiting, but we're not seeing what's happening, my, what's my job while I wait? Well, number one, just keep praying. Just keep praying. When the angel appears to Zechariah, he tells them, your prayer has been heard. Well, what prayer? We don't know specifically everything he's referring to, 
But I think we can surmise that he is talking because of what comes next. He is talking about the prayer that Zechariah had been praying for a child, the prayer that he had been praying for decades. And if that's true, and I think it is, I want to ask you this question. When did God hear my prayer? When did God hear Zechariah's prayer? Well, he heard his prayer during the season when it seemed like Zechariah's prayer was not being heard. He hears our prayer sometimes during the precise moments where all seems silent and heaven seems like brass and it's like nobody's there, nobody's listening, nobody cares. Why do I keep doing this? That's when God hears our prayers. And so Zechariah now knows God was hearing my prayer even when I didn't think he was. And we can hear this and be reminded and encouraged to keep sowing seeds of faith, to keep praying the prayers that God leads us to pray. I mean, what if during this Christmas season that seems so hard to you, what if you just kept praying? What if you just kept trusting that somehow God is gonna answer and it's gonna be in his timing and his timing is always best? What if you just kept praying? Number two, we can worship our way through the waiting. This just means you just keep focusing on God. Keep looking at his goodness. Keep thinking about his faithfulness. Keep reminding yourself of his power and his promises. And that leads naturally to number three. You, you cling to his word. You cling to the word of God. Are you in the word of God this Christmas season? That's how we need to Wait. I want you to listen to Psalm 130, verses one to five. Psalmist says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Anybody in the depths? O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Praise God. Therefore, you are feared. Now listen to this last verse. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his what? Word, I put my hope. While you wait, cling to the word of God. And then last, anchor yourself in a community that will fight for God's promises in your life. Have you experienced this? See, when you want to bail You need to get people around you, people, people that can call the enemy a liar when you're not sure he's lying. Do you ever need that? Get people in your life groups who will fill up the silence for you when you feel like I'm just too tired to to keep fighting. I'm just too tired to put anything in the silence. You, You can say to them, will you guys do it for me? And they can say, you know, that is not true about who you are. They can they can recite God's promises to you. And you can believe this is not who I am. It is not why I'm here. This is not my future. And you can say to the enemy, now, enemy, you don't just have to take me out. You have to take me and all six of them out too. Good luck. Get in a place 
where people can fight for you and fight with you and reinforce your trust in God. And let me just say, this is not in my notes, but some of you are going down and you don't know if you're gonna get back up again. You just keep going down. And a big part of the reason you're going down is you're trying to do it by yourself. God never made you to try to follow him by yourself. Get people in your life who renew your faith and encourage your hope in God while you wait. And then last, this is the last thing that we can do. So important to remember, while we wait on God, we wait with God. And this is about Emmanuel. And this is the essence of Christmas. That word Emmanuel means God with us, Emmanuel. That's with us. El is uh, the word for God from Elohim. It's literally the with us God. And, and you must understand this is saying that while you wait on God, you are always waiting with God. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. This is the power of a, Emmanuel. And it's so very cool how we see this in the Christmas story, especially in Matthew's gospel. Maybe you've never connected these dots before, but if you go to the first chapter, the very first chapter of Matthew's gospel, after that long genealogy, the, the, the story starts, and it says in verses 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. He's referring back to Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's how the gospel starts. And the power of this, if you receive it, is enough to anchor you no matter how long your season of waiting has been because the enemy's primary weapon to get us to give up is to convince us that God isn't working or worse, that he's not even real and that we're by ourselves. I think one of the enemy's most potent lies is always to tell you you're by yourself, you're alone, nobody cares, you're isolated, that's just who you are. But it's not true for anyone who's put their hope in the Lord because Jesus says to us, my name is Emmanuel. My name is the with us God. And so that's how Matthew begins his, his gospel. But it's not only how he begins his gospel. Have you ever noticed how the gospel of Matthew ends? Go all the way to the end. It's chapter 28. You can turn there right now if you want to check out what I'm saying. But the very last verse of, of, of the gospel of Matthew, the very last sentence in the gospel of Matthew says, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. It's the bookends of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the bookends of the story of Jesus the Messiah arriving on planet Earth. He, it begins and it ends with this simple statement, I am with you. And that means in the waiting, when you can see me and when you can't, when you're aware of what I'm doing and when you're not, when your tank is full and when you are running on empty, when you have a job and when you don't, when you're healthy and when you're so sick you don't think you'll make it. I am Emmanuel. I am Almighty God, the with you God. That is who I am. So Southwinds, anyone here, whenever you feel forgotten, you can remember with Zachariah and with Elizabeth and with Christ's followers for the last 2,000 years, the Lord remembers 
And God always keeps his promises. He never stops working. And he won't stop now. This is God's word for us today, Southwinds. Will you receive it? Let's all together, as God's people say, amen. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for the blessing of being reminded that even when we, we feel forgotten, we can know that we're not, that you are with us, that you'll, you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And Lord, I'm just mindful right now of people here in this room who are bearing deep disappointment and they're experiencing deep pain and they just haven't heard from you. Maybe people like Zachariah and Elizabeth struggling with infertility. Maybe people who are undergoing treatment for cancer or, or maybe some other illness or, or people who are grieving a, a loss, a loss of life or a loss of a marriage maybe the loss of a relationship with a parent or a child. And Lord, you know this, this time of year can just heighten and accentuate our pain because we just want everything to be so good and so beautiful, and yet our lives are often not, not those things. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just bring your presence more and more clearly into our, our situations Lord, we ask that each little place of of pain or silence or confusion or or longing, Lord, would you you just show up in a way that makes it clear you are so real and that we can trust you. Lord, we know that you have given to us the most perfect sign that you love us and that we're not alone and it's that you have sent Jesus and he has come to this earth to live and to suffer for our sins and you have raised him to life again so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. We are your children and Lord, we know you take care of your children. We give you thanks for that and Lord, we pray all these things in the name of your son and our savior. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, and all God's people said.